Ready graphics? Ready theme? Hi, I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. Get it, Jim. I mean, don't. Respect Doris. But get it, Jim. That's nice. <laughs> Jim, do you know anything about bestialities? It is a, it's a dark internet, people. Don't look that up. And on today's episode, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 14. It's how you play the game. Hello, troops. Hello, troops. <laughs> I can't say hello to people with a normal voice. It's not possible. It's okay. We'll we'll kick all that out of you. Yeah, it's someday. Someday my spirit will be beaten out of me. So welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi guys. On that note, we have some Murphy Brown news. We do. Yes, what's the news? So there is a we have final casting news that there is a Phyllis coming to town in Murphy Brown, but it's not the one you're thinking of. It's another Phyllis. Phyllis World. So this is Phyllis, Phil's sister, not his wife who you've met previously, played by Someone named Tyne Daly. You may have heard of her once, or 17 times. Particularly because they're redoing, mm-hmm. rebooting Cagney and Lacey on CBS, <laughs> as opposed to reviving it. Yes. So obviously she needed to get on CBS in some way. You gotta get back there. You gotta get somehow. back. Somehow. No, Tyne Daly is an amazing, highly lauded legend within stage and screen. Yes. And um, you have definitely seen her in many things. I'm trying to think about what the first thing I was that I saw Tyne Daly in. For me, even though I'd always heard of Cagney and Lacey and mm-hmm. knew of it, for me, it was Judging Amy. I was going to say, I think it was Judging Amy. And I was trying to decide if that aged me. But that's what I think of her from. Yeah, she has six Emmys and a Tony. Just a couple And she's things. in the American Theatre Hall of Fame. Yes, because she's amazing. She's amazing. I've seen her on stage several times. She's one of my favorite actresses. She is stunning on stage. Mm-hmm. I'm... One of those people that when she enters, she doesn't need a line. She doesn't even need a big costume. You just feel when she enters the stage. She she pulls focus in the most subtle and dynamic way possible, and I love her. Yeah, so we'll talk more about her in the future, but mm-hmm. we just wanted to give you guys some news. And her name being Phyllis, Diane promises us via Twitter mm-hmm. that it will all be explained. Yes, we're excited. I, we're yeah. talking about, I was saying, you know, we know that the, the trope of men marry their mothers, women marry their fathers. I feel like, what was Phil's mom's name? I feel like this might be the crux of it. If Phil has a sister named Phyllis, and he married a Phyllis, is there perhaps a, a mother thing going on? They're all named Phil. Exactly. But was yes. her name Philippa? Pippa for short? Or is it, is it just Phil's and Phyllis's for how many generations? I need to know. How many, and was this, did this determine who he dated? I need to know. So Phyllis is my grandmother's name. (gasps) Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Although it's not technically the name that she was born with, but it is the name on her tombstone. Whoa. Hey, what? There's a story. Please tell. Now I feel like I have to tell it. So uh, my grandmother was born Evelyn Phyllis. Middle name. Yes. Okay. No one ever called her Evelyn. In mm-hmm. fact, she hated the name Evelyn. So, I think it's a beautiful name. It's a lovely name. I think she hated it because it wasn't her name. No one mm-hmm. called her that. But mm-hmm. my guess is because in the Jewish religion, uh, most people are named after someone who's passed. So they probably needed an E name. Mm-hmm. But wanted to really name her Phyllis. So she had her name legally changed to Phyllis. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, good for her. She knows she, what she wanted. Um, but the interesting thing as well is that now uh, my family has two letters to choose from. When naming children. So my cousin named her daughter Emma. Oh. Oh, that's nice. I I love that tradition. I forget that it exists, but that's such 
it's quite lovely. I do. I like it because it's a way of uh, paying tribute, mm-hmm. but also letting a person be their own person mm-hmm. and not have to walk in the footsteps of someone else who had your name. Yes. Although technically I am the second Lauren Milberger. Wow. How dare you? My, I know. How does, how is the weight of that, that second title? I've technically had the name longer than she had. Ooh. Mic dropped. She married quite young. My, my father's first cousin. So by, t- by the time I was born, she was no longer Lauren Milberger. All right, well. But um, I call her number one, and she calls me number two. That's amazing. Isn't it? I d- Mad respect for that. Thank you. Mad respect. I find it hilarious. Um, so shall we get into the episode? Let's go into the episode. It's How You Play the Game is uh, written by Russ Woody, who, just to give you context, previously wrote Nowhere to Run, which is episode three, and Kyle, episode 10. It is directed by Barnett Kelman. Oh. And it aired February 27th, 1989. Uh, The song in our lovely traditional beginning is Do You Love Me? Although some people refer to it as Do You Love Me? Parentheses, Now That I Can Dance. Mm -hmm. But the song is actually Do You Love Me? And the album that it's from is Do You Love Me? Parentheses, Now That I Can Dance. Interesting. So that's confusing. Yes. It was a 1962 hit single recorded by The Contours on the Gordy label. And one of my favorite stories so far that we've heard, mm-hmm. they only recorded the song because Barry Gordy found them in the hallway. <laughs> I, it's, truth is always stranger than fiction. Yeah, I mean, as we've sort of learned so far is that they got these songs out pretty quickly. Yeah, they just yeah. made it happen. So the Temptations had left the building unbeknownst to... Physically, not metaphorically. Yeah, like physically they physically had, left, had the left the building not knowing that... Gordy was looking for them. <laughs> and so you couldn't call him up on your cell phone and be like, hey, no. Temps, get back here. Yep, nope. So he ran into the contours who were very worried that they were going to lose their contract because they did not have any hits and thanked him <laughs> profusely for it. Aww. They kind of love that. I mean, it's just too bad for the Temptations that that just killed their career and they went nowhere after that yes which happened to the contours what a, unfortunately oh. yeah now it was a top 40 hit <laughs> it has a distinction being in the top 40 in 1962 and in 1988 jesse do you know why dirty dancing yes yes i know when it dawned on me too i went oh of i course. was trying i was trying to imagine why i knew that song so well and it's totally from dirty dancing. that's why i know it too i feel yeah. like it's the first sort of motown song that yeah. i knew i hear that song and i start seeing that sequence mm-hmm. amazing it technically was on the sequel of the i mean the soundtrack sequel mm-hmm. more dirty dancing <laughs> oh the clever naming of the 80s i owned them both yes you did because i did and I had a poster on my wall it's cool hey. i still sing cool rider from greece too it's fine no judgments. Um, my mother made me a, a Pink Ladies jacket, and I lip-synced two songs from Greece too. Yeah. Let's I do love... it for our country. Let us. We have way too much in common. <laughs> so much in common. <laughs> but anyway, about anyway. the contours. Instrumentals by the Funk Brothers. So into the episode into... of this song, Do You Love Me, which is so perfect. It's a great choice. And I feel like this opening is to me is quintessential Murphy Brown. Mm -hmm. And I know we've sort of had it a little bit before, but the way that it's like cut really quickly and it goes with the music, I feel like this is sort of what eventually became sort of the staple of the openings, you know, when you didn't have Mm -hmm. a little little vignette happening. Yes. Yeah, it's not the the opening with Jim getting his coffee ready. It's not Murphy trying to get a cigarette. It's a montage before the action actually starts. Uh, Question, why do you think this song is playing over it? Uh, because they want to be loved. Yeah. I was wondering, that's what I had thought, but I was trying to see if you thought there's any other reason. 
I mean, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts? I feel that like was my it's, first. It's it was like, about, do you love me? Do you love me? Now that I can dance, I assume the dance is they're doing this dance. Yeah, and then it, it. It, I can do the mashed potato. I can do all these things. Mm-hmm. Like I can do this. I can do that. Love me, love me, yeah. love me, love me. Let me just, just show you everything. High quality doesn't mean we can't be the quantity you're looking for. Well, I don't know if this is all high quality stuff. No, just because they're already high quality doesn't mean like the people at FYI. Oh, were being you, like just because we're high quality doesn't mean we can't be the quantity. Oh, you've you moved want. on already. Of course I have. Yes. Okay. I am in the metaphor right now. So, we open with the first shot of Morton Downey Jr. Morton. Who, which I'll get into after this, at least at the beginning, the template for Jerry Gold. Yes. I can't hear the name Morton without assuming uh, First Wives Club Marty. Oh. Which, oddly enough, watching this sequence, I'm like, huh. And he has a a silver bowl, which you can see in the background, which I'll talk about later, Mm -hmm. which is very famous because he would use it to ash out his cigarettes. He chain-smoked through the whole thing. Whoa. Yeah. Then we have a uh, the National Tadler. The Tadler. So here's the thing. Just notice this now because we have to write everything down. I thought it was a made-up magazine for Murphy Brown. In fact, it's actually in the Hannibal Lecter universe. No, it's a, it's a real magazine yes. from the UK. But when you Google it, mm-hmm. it's under fictional newspapers. Interesting. On a fictional wiki. So you obviously know more about this than I do. I thought it was made up for Murphy Brown. Oh, no. I thought based on the name of it, when I first ever heard of it, at whatever point in my life I'd heard of it, I thought the name was just so on the nose. There's no way it could have been real. But yeah, it's a it's gossip trash. Yeah, And I also <laughs> realized they, they call it the Tadler as opposed to the National Tadler on the show. But, yeah. But even when I Googled it, I could not find a lot except for pictures. I listen to a lot of British podcasts and they talk about the Tadler. Yeah. It's, it's, so it was just like the National Enquirer, right? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They're very into the um, comings and goings of society. So I'm pregnant with Satan's baby. <laughs> David Frost, the informer. Mar- I just want to say that I Googled claims of Satan impregnation. Oh, did you? It is a, it's a dark internet, people. Don't look that up. It is, it's a dark, dark world we live in. So you watched your internet history, I'm Sure did, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. good. No one will know. Nope. So we have the informer cover that says uh, Marilyn Monroe Alive, mm-hmm. Times Square, and I'm guessing the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, they seem to be throwing back yeah, yeah. for memory. A fire. And I thought, oh, why couldn't it have been a garbage fire? That makes so much sense. That is, <laughs> can you go back and yell at production? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess garbage fire is more of a modern, I mean, not modern, but like people use it a lot more now. Mm-hmm. Well, I also wonder like, if they were doing that time period, if you did a garbage fire, if it would imply like burning draft cards and that kind of stuff. Oh, maybe. Different. That's true. A different implication. Mm-hmm. A few scenes of hospitals, Harry Krishna's. Oh, Hari Krishna's, man. A punk scene? Is it a punk scene? Like late 70s punk? Yeah. It looks, I mean, it's supposed to be rough and scandalous. Yeah, yeah. Which would make sense for 70 punk. Morton Downey screaming with a noose, which you were saying. That image is iconic to me. And my family didn't watch his syndication. Um, but I grew up knowing that guy, and I think because I was slightly afraid of men's yelling in general, and he always seemed very intense and, and intimidating to me, but I also knew that a lot of people saw him as a joke. So I was just fascinated, but that particular, the noose, for some reason, really resonated with me. I remember seeing that. A woman bodybuilder, mm-hmm. um, World Secrets, headline chimp's head on a human body. David Frost again. Wait, apparently is a thing. Yeah. Uh, Morton Downey uh, smoking a cigarette. He was, as I said, known for chain smoking on the show, blowing smoke in people's faces. I appreciate that at, throughout this opening sequence, mm-hmm. every clip is like he's disintegrating mentally. And he's getting more aggressive. Oh, that's interesting. And breaking down. You're right. Yeah, I didn't think of the breakdown, but he's definitely getting more aggressive. Yeah. 
So then after that, we have an ambulance, I'm assuming like ambulance chaser, mm -hmm. right? That kind of thing. Um, the enforcer cover, girl gives birth to own brother, Ugh. which could be incest or was the baby was still inside you because it's a twin that never... I, I went to incest. Okay. I, my brain went to incest. Yeah. Sorry. Morton and his audience members are on their knees. They're um, they're praying. I think over a corpse or yeah. a guy in a. I don't know. I wasn't. I was wondering if it was maybe like a hardcore like revival church service or something. Maybe like it looked that? like it was audience members. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Because here's the thing: people would come to his show. A lot, a lot of the male audience, a lot of mm -hmm. young male audience, and they would scream. They would scream his name, and they would just go berserk. They would go crazy. They loved him. They would have Q and A's, and people would come up and get in arguments with him. And that was his thing. He would just scream in your face, and and fights. Fights broke out. Big fights. Mm -hmm. So the thing that he is making me think of is um, Alex Jones. Me too. Funny enough. And I'm trying to imagine what it would be like if Alex Jones had an actual audience. And if it would be stuff like that. Because now it's in, like, his show in particular, his joke of a show in particular, mm -hmm. is uh, very tunnel-visioned and in its own little bubble. And ratings aren't the same, which is something we'll talk about in this episode. Ratings aren't the same, so we can't really fully measure how popular he really is aside from the fact that he keeps getting money to continue his show mm -hmm. but i'd be very interested to see what a group of people actually actively on set with him would be like and if he has the kind of pull that morton did well there's um a documentary um about morton downey that i was not able to watch but mm -hmm. i i watched interviews on cnn with people because it was a cnn documentary um and they speculated not about alex jones but about mm -hmm. certain things that Alex Jones, the milieu of Alex Jones, yes. would be conspiracies. They thought that, that Morton Downey would be a birther. People who create an on-screen on character who use that kind of shtick mm -hmm. as their attention-grabbing move. And at, as, when I first saw these clips, I was like, oh, that's so old school. And then I realized, no. It's, he started it. It is. Yeah, he started it. But it's not, it's not gone, man. No, and I'm <laughs> going to talk a little bit about that. But quickly, then we have, after the audience, we have, I wrote tons of TNA. Well, mostly A. Oh, you were way more clever about that. I wrote, so many butts. That's what I wrote. You sounded like the cocktail waitress <laughs> when you said that. So many butts. And then we have Tattletale, Human Blob Eats a Farm a Week. <laughs> that I think might have been my favorite one. So to give us some context, mm -hmm. and I have to say I, I knew a little bit about this subject, and mm -hmm. I know a lot more. And it's scary and interesting at the same time. Okay. So many people um, say that Warren Downey Jr. is the, the the king of trash TV, the starter of trash TV and a lot of uh, reality television that we have today. Mm -hmm. uh, he started in 1987 in Syracuse, New Jersey on a cable station. So he was actually a local station because I remember my dad watching it. So many interesting icons come from your world. Thanks, Jersey. Across the board. Hey, at least you created the spectrum. I don't think he's actually from Jersey, though. Um, he also was a lobbyist beforehand. Um, he lost a lot of jobs for screaming at people. It was a big <laughs> shocker. I am shocked by this. His debut episode was titled Women in Porn. Wow. Uh, the show the show quickly became a hit, and by 1988, uh, with his live audience who would yell his name, and if everyone remembers, you know, when we saw clips of Jerry's show, they mm -hmm. yell Jerry's Jerry. name. Yep. Also interesting in the background that really makes me think that he's mostly based on Morton Downey. I'm sure there's other things in there. And eventually, mm -hmm. listen, eventually Jerry changed. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily, you know, him, but the idea of what is being said. So I'm really talking about 
in the context of this episode, what was being looked at. Yes, absolutely. Because something that I think uh, Steve also mentioned was Jay being a radio per- personality, mm-hmm. that that Jerry had maybe some qualities of, ha- of Howard Stern in him. I think eventually Jerry became more like a Bill Maher type mm-hmm. character. The, the term that first came to me that I was just looking up while you were talking was mm-hmm. saying that Morton was the first one. I tried to look up specifically Shock Jock um, because that is usually a radio yeah. personality mm-hmm. and but I do I do find it interesting the mix of the radio personality and that history with Morton Downey Jr. because yeah. that Jerry does feel like a perfect blend of the two. Yeah. And then um, in the background, when we see Jerry's set, it has sort of this thatching, diagonal thatching, and it reminds me of the squares, which is horizontally. Mm-hmm. I, and again, this was always what I thought that he was originally based on, finding more about Morton Downey. I'm like, oh, okay, I can see the evolution of Jerry when Jay came in and sort of, you know, changed mm-hmm. the role a, a tiny bit. And gave him a heart. Yeah. Well, that too. But in Jerry's first episode, he's chain smoking all the time. Uh-huh. Um, he blows smoke in... Well, he kisses Corky, but he blows smoke in people's faces if you think yeah. about it. So it's definitely, you know, Morton Downey very much influenced by that. And Morton Downey is filled in most of this opening. He was quickly dubbed Mort the Mouth, and he pretty much, you know, people said rode sort of a wave of public rage. He considered himself an advocate, oddly hmm. enough. It's interesting he says advocate. Advocates make it about... I, I get what he's saying is that he's I don't thinking agree. about other people, but it, he's a voice. He thinks he's a voice of the people. I'm not sure that I would give him the concept of an advocate. That means he's campaigning for something. He's just embodying something yeah. that he he's believes just angry. is out there. And I'm a conservative, which mm-hmm. we have to say, which you know, yeah. is 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 very important to his uh, persona. It was known to be you know shocking. He had a lot of public people on, mm-hmm. politicians. There were lots of fights because of the screaming and the anger and you know. Yeah, that, that would create fighting. I can yeah. see that. Um, but what I thought was interesting was, so it started syndicating nationally in 1988, right? Mm-hmm. By September 1989, the show was pretty much gone. Wow. Yeah. So this wow. this episode aired in February, right? Whereas by September, he was gone. That is an incredibly short and loud presence. I was shocked. I didn't realize that it was... And Jerry Gold lasted longer than Morton Downey yeah, Jr. Yeah, maybe it's because I'm not from the coast, and so the mm-hmm. syndication got to us later. Yeah. But I thought he was around longer. But the biggest issue apparently was that Arsenio Hall, funny enough. Oh. I mean, I think that he, he burnt himself out probably because it it's hard to say because nowadays this is a lot of what's in, mm-hmm. in our entertainment that people are not getting sick of, mm-hmm. but they did get a little sick of. Adver- advertisers were also very wary of him because of all of his antics. Mm-hmm. So the show was not doing well. They moved the time slot. Arsenio was just, you know, was before him, and the, the audience was sort of going to Arsenio, mm-hmm. even though it's different, but it's just sort of the time slot thing. What really put the nail in the coffin of his show, which was already very close to being canceled, was to save the show, he pretended that he was attacked by neo-Nazis in a bathroom at an airport. He pretended? Yes, because he got caught, because the swastika that he drew on his forehead was backwards. (laughs) People are so stupid. (laughs) If no one is getting it, it's because he did it in the mirror. Slow clap for Morty. Yeah. So something is sort of interesting around this time as well is that you had other talk shows. You obviously, you, you had Donahue, which was mm-hmm. going to be a reference. Uh, Murphy does a little Donahue uh, body gesture, which cracked me mm-hmm. the hell up when I realized what it was. But I had remembered Donahue not being this outrageous and profane and 
for the first nine years of Donahue, he won like every Emmy. Yeah. Yeah. But what a lot of people feel is that people took what Phil Donahue was doing and then, well, whereas Phil felt that there was a line, Mm -hmm. other people didn't. Hmm. His show sort of went off the air because people kept going farther and farther and he he wouldn't go there. Hmm. Now, I also remember as a kid, I don't know about you, that there was also Donahue up against Oprah. Yeah. You know? And... And I, I was trying to find it because I wasn't sure if my memory was wrong. That I was like, I remember Oprah doing this kind of stuff, you know, cross dressers and, and housewives who. Before she was Oprah. Oprah, yes. And then I found in one video, and it was fascinating. Oprah said that there was a moment on the show that made her realize she needed to change what she was doing and she would never do this kind of television again. Oh. Um, she had someone on, and they already told him in advance that he was going to come on the show and say that he was having an affair. His wife would be on the show and the mistress. What they didn't know was that the mistress was pregnant. Oh. And Oprah said the look on this woman's face is just her betrayal when they not only said that he was cheating on her, but that the, this is so horrible, that the mistress was pregnant and then the mistress goes, eh. Wow. And, and it's, it was sort of a beautiful moment, I feel, in this video. A realization. A realization. Mm-hmm. And for someone to admit, she realized that she needed to not do that. Mm-hmm. And she became more su- successful than any of them. Did I tell you my sister was on Oprah once? Oh, my God. No. Yeah, she was on an Improving Your Quality of Life segment when I, th- I think I was about 12. Mm-hmm. And she looked amazing. And she even made a joke with Oprah on the episode. And at some point in her montage, there's a picture of me when I was a little kid with my sister. And I'm just so proud of her. Aww. So there's also a really interesting video. Um, C-SPAN did this panel, and it was Morton Downey, and it was Geraldo. Geraldo's oh, definitely a part Geraldo. of this. And there's going to be a Geraldo reference at yes, the end sure of the is. episode, which we'll talk about. Phil Donahue, Larry King. I mean, it's a huge table. One woman, of course. Uh-huh. Something that Donahue said was, I do not apologize for wanting to draw a crowd. I am as, as interested in ratings as the people in this room are interested in circulation. There were a lot of newspaper people in the room. Mm-hmm. And that was a very interesting quote to what we have. He also said... I also believe there is an unbecoming elitism here within our own journalistic community. And so it's a whole sort of argument about how they don't think that he's a legitimate journalist and he believes he is. And I think that's part of the conversation as well. I think that's something very universal because I think it happens in every industry. Sure. Within their own spectrum. But we talk about that as actors. as about what's a legitimate job. What's the stuff that you talk about with stuff like, oh, they just do this. They don't count. The concept of legitimacy is a very relative strife per industry. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting what people within its own industry see as legitimate and what people outside of it see. What we see as audience members or readers or consumers see as legitimate within their industry versus what they consider legitimate. Yeah, right. And even just, uh, they talk about the end of the episode, how do you measure success? Yeah. Um, Something also interesting was um, Donahue, which started in 1972, was targeted at women who think. Wow, okay. Unlike the rest of us. No, no, no. And uh, I thought I'd give you guys uh, also some examples of topics from some of these shows. Mm -hmm. Because you also have Jerry Springer, you had Geraldo, like I mentioned, Sally Jesse Raphael, Jenny Jones came in, Maury Povich, who's still on TV today. Um, oh, Maury. Yeah. I know eventually um, Diane said that Jerry and Murphy kind of reminded her of Maury Povich and uh, Connie Chung. <laughs> she was like, what do they talk about at night? <laughs> so um, so I picked up some of my favorites. Um, Morton Danny Jr.'s most famous episode is known as Strippers for God. Geraldo has men in lace panties and the women who love them. Mm. Jerry Springer, we have a cross-dresser wants my gal. 
I'm sure there's more to talk about, but that's a little context before we go into the actual episode. So we open on the FYI bullpen, and we our first vision is of lovely secretary number 14, and he's not feeling so lovely. No, even as a ginger, not so lovely. He's a lovely ginger man. We found out it's his first IMDb credit. Yeah, I was so excited. And he's killing killing it. it. So he is surrounded by cold meds and Kleenexes. And just upon one visual, before you even see him trying to breathe, you know exactly what the problem's going to be with this guy. Um, So Murphy enters and sees him. And she, we've seen this outfit or just pieces before? This is Murphy's pony. This is Murphy's pony. Okay, I didn't want to say that, but it felt like it's pretty sure that outfit we love. Green, yeah, green jacket. Those gloves. Those gloves. Those gloves. So he hands her her message, which is that Walter Cron- Cronkite called, and he loved, uh, she did a piece on the, the show at, the night before, right? Yeah. The, yes. Yeah, that's we know it's a Thursday, because yes. show night's Wednesday. Yes, okay. So he loved her piece. She did one on the greenhouse effect, and um, she keeps quoting the fact that he says, quote, he enjoyed it immensely. And as before she turns to go tell Frank, the secretary does this noise from his from his head cavity. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It sounds like an angsty pig. <laughs> and he's just trying to breathe. And I feel personally victimized by this moment because that feels like half of my life. <laughs> Murphy is very excited to tell Frank, but Frank ignores her. Because they apparently are waiting for the Nielsen ratings. Yes. By the way, my family was a blue book Nielsen family for I'm not sure how long, but a very short amount of time. I was so excited. I think it was 1991, actually. Wow. It's very, like, you know, topical for this. And uh, Can you explain what that is? I will. So, if if, first of all, if you're not familiar with the Nielsens, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later about ratings, Mm -hmm. but since the 1920s and eventually the 1950s with television, they also did radio. They tally viewership. Uh, And back then, it was either through a box that you had, and you were a Nielsen family, and Mm -hmm. you were one of the important people that told us what we were all watching, or they would do samplings where they would send these blue books like you were in English class, and you'd have one by each of your TV. And and I honestly, I should have asked my mother, and I forget how long we had them, but I was so excited. I would cut out the ratings from Entertainment Weekly. And as I would, and I have them in my scrapbook, Mm -hmm. but as I'm cleaning out my old room, I found a wad of them all mm-hmm. taped together. And I thought, what is this? And I realized that I would cut it out every week, mm-hmm. paste it on my wall, and then put another one over it. It makes sense now why you were a TV kid. Mm-hmm. Also, I appreciate that it appears that New Jersey is the center of all things now because you get your blue books and all that good stuff. The, we the probably thing had it for like a month. Like it was a yes. very short amount of time. I mean, the reason why people aren't as familiar with this is that ratings are completely different yeah. beast now because people don't watch things when they air yeah. like they used to because now we have binging, we have the Hulu, we have all these things where you can watch it after the fact around your schedule. Yeah, and, and Nielsen is still sort of catching mm-hmm. up with that. I found an article from 2016 which talks about a man who got a blue book in the mail. <gasps> And he had to make a note to say, you have nothing on here about how much I watch Netflix. Mm-hmm. This is this is something that you should be tallying. It's a, it's a new world of viewership and people need to adapt. Yeah. I mean, very quickly, what they have now is they have something called Live, um, Live SD and Live Plus 3 and Live Plus 7. And Live Plus 3 and Live Plus 7 is DVR. Mm-hmm. Is, um, I believe, even streaming a little bit, which is how many days pass. So... 
live plus three is three days past it aired. Yeah, seven, you know, since it aired. I mean, as somebody who has not had a TV package for many years, it shocks me, especially considering my demographic, that they wouldn't be tracking other means. Mm -hmm. It needs to catch it. So anyway, Murphy is immediately eye rolls all eye rolls once this is brought up. She hates ratings. She hates that it's such a big thing, um, that you're measuring your success by by the numbers, how many million people are watching, as opposed to the, the quality of the pieces that are going up. Yeah, I love what she says. She says, you know, is it more important to the work if you get 18 million viewers or 40 million viewers? Mm-hmm. Is the Shouldn't the work be the same? Exactly. Yeah. And Corky comes up. And um, she's, of course, inquiring about if they know about the ratings yet. And Frank says, um, apparently, Miles is six minutes late. Apparently, it's become this big of a deal, which is is the first time we've seen this. But I love what Corky says. She calls him a little turtle. No, not even that. That's really great. And I thought she was going to... I just love it. I thought she might have said... I was thinking she was going to say little pisher. And so she said turtle. And I went, oh, not what I thought, Corky. No, she goes, I hate coming in second. Yeah. She wants the good ratings and she hates coming in second, which... If you all remember the history of Corky, she inherited the title. <laughs> That's why that line is fantastic. It's so brilliant. It's so great. And it's only if you've really been paying attention. If you look at Faith, she knows what she's saying. And so there is such a a simmering investment well, for Corky in this. This episode is one of the episodes that Faith Ford submitted for her Emmy nomination. Amazing. As well as Joe Ragabuto, which we'll get to mm-hmm. probably why in, yes. in a little bit later. So Murphy starts talking about how um, ratings shouldn't matter. It's the quality of the work. She says she's been here 16 years in the business, which that doesn't seem to track with our timeline, correct? I thought about this because I made a note of that also. It just means that working for CBS was her first professional job in broadcasting. Got it. So it doesn't count the other stuff. Yeah, because she says if she she was hired 16 years ago mm-hmm. and she's been in the business 16 years ago, mm-hmm. that means that this is just her first job. Yeah, again, it always depends worked. on how you define business. The business. That's true. I I was thinking broadcast journalism. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's why when she said that, I was like, well, you've been doing this for way longer than you've been at at CBS. Oh, I'm counting businesses. My first instinct was that the business was a larger term as a journalist. That's true. Because she's talking about the quality of journalism. But it makes sense if, I mean, this is the only element of journalism she has worked in where there have been ratings. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she's ever done print. There's never been any reference to that. So anyway, uh, I love Corky does this turn to Murphy and tells her she loves that she's such a professional. And then she says, if only I could get you to vary your hairstyle. Which we talk about on the show. Yeah. So that was pretty funny. I concur with you, Corky. Yes, we agree. Jim enters with a delightful, hello, troops. And Murphy thinks she can talk to him about Cronkite, but Jim only wants to know about the ratings. And she thinks that, and Murphy's fed up at this point, and she's saying they're just a meaningless bunch of numbers. And Jim seems to be on her side, and then all of a sudden turns. And says, but why don't they like us in Denver? The w- Are you going to talk about his little hand thing that he does? The way that Charles Kimbrough says it, because he all, he not only changes his his voice, but he changes his body language. He does this little fist, this and of, then yes, gestures to Frank. Yes, it's so great. Oh, I love it. Uh, in that moment, as the the final gesture we're talking about with Frank is kind of overshadowed by the fact that Miles enters, and he is clearly not having a good day. Uh, Murphy tries to bring out the Cronkite letter because Miles should care. And all anyone can talk about are the ratings. Um, He says they took it in the shorts. (laughs) 
You hadn't heard that term before? No. Taking it in the ass. No, I know what the real term oh, okay. is, but <laughs> took it in the shorts is like, it's like Corky saying that little turtle. Like, yeah. I was like, oh. A little Bart Aww. Simpson-y too. Yeah, it is. Um, and he says if the ratings get any lower, he'll be hosing down the product, the produce at Food World. Second reference Second to food. food World. Yeah. Uh, it turns out Oh, that- wait. Word usage. The last time we heard it was in an episode that Russ wrote. Russ. Do you love Food World? <laughs> so Jerry Gold, first time we're hearing about him, Jerry, and his Jerry. headline news show, Jerry, Jerry, I always took forget. them all on the ratings. Always, sorry to interrupt. I always forget that that is the name of the show because after this, they only referred to it as the Jerry Gold the Jerry show, Gold which show. could be just shorthand sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, or they just forgot. Mm-hmm. But I was like, oh yeah, it had a title. It was a thing. Because headline news makes you think that it's... Um, a little bit of a new show as mm-hmm. opposed to later on. It does a little yeah, more. Yeah, going like through more, your, your necessary endowing. headlines. Yeah. And again, Geraldo started as what many would see mm-hmm. as a um, straight and narrow journalist. All the headlines with none of the substance. Mm. So some of those were including the, the tragic plight of sex-crazed registered nurses. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Murphy gets that the ratings aren't great. Turns out, I, I forget what some of the numbers was, but the one that stuck out stuck out to me was that the demographic of 18 to 49 dropped off the page. Yeah, which is interesting. If people don't realize, the reason that the 18 to 49, you know, sort of bracket is a, is a very important demo to mm-hmm. advertisers is that there's this ridiculous myth in, at least I think it's ridiculous, yep. in advertising that after the age of 49, you get stuck in your ways and you'll never try another product ever mm-hmm. again. I get where the assumption comes from. And it's still an assumption that, that lives to this day. Like, I, I'm i stuck in my ways and I'm in my 30s. So, like, I have trouble trying new products. That's why I have a subscription for, uh, you know, face cream. And But to, to go back to, I think, what you were also saying before is that, so they got a 13 share mm-hmm. and Jerry got a 40 share. That is significantly more. Yes. Um, so the thing about it is that Murphy's looking at this. When she sees that the 18 to 49 dropped off the page, she starts getting very upset. I kind of love that. It also shows that she actually does pay attention. She gets what they what she, they mean. Yeah, she gets what they mean. Mm-hmm. She also knows that they rose in this in this city and they mm-hmm. fell in that city. Like, she knows them really mm-hmm. well. And I love that sort of contrast that she is actually pretending. I love it. It's the fact that she intelligently understands what they are and what they mean. She just doesn't want to have to care about them. Yeah. But she does. And then Corky is quite perplexed because she thought it wasn't about the ratings and Murphy proceeds to say says that it's about the quality but she also wants to win and uh, Jim tries to helpfully insert that they did meet beat Mr. Belvedere oh I used to love Mr. Belvedere Belvedere yeah Miles is I, I appreciate Miles in this episode because he really is this pushing is, for integrity this is classic Miles yes this is the Miles that I, I feel like I know yes you know and, and I understand the last episode he served a purpose of I get that and he's I, I do agree I think he was trying to be part of the boys club yep. but this this is the Miles he does this a lo- is the one that's growing Jim Jim Jim, Jim. you know Jim yeah. Jim He's, he has all of his sort of classic sort mm-hmm. of little Miles tropes that yep. he does. And he says he hates it, that they work hard on their shows, and they, like, the quality should be the one that's winning. Yeah. And Corky says this great line about how she wants to go door to door and say, America, I'm mad at you. I feel like this is, like, classic Corky. Like, if you went to do a clip package, you know, yeah. what is Corky? I would pick a lot of stuff out of this episode. Yeah. Miles very begrudgingly offers that a, a network person has had a suggestion to which Frank buries his face oh, I love the gesture in his hands and says that perhaps they could attempt to provide do stories that are more intellectually accessible to a broader spectrum of viewer I love that quote it's so 
politically correct. Mm -hmm. And Jim sums it up by saying, give him TNA. So now he'll just go ahead and anchor the news in a tank top and bicycle pants. And I thought, Jesse would like that. I'm pro Jim in a tank top and bicycle pants. Yes, Jim. Follow your dreams. Follow my dreams, Jim. Follow my dreams and wear those bicycle pants. And Frank makes the point. He's been working on a homeless piece for two weeks. And he's and he says that he's supposed to, what do they want me to do now? Find the lighter side? Murphy says they won't do it, that they are not journalist prostitutes. Oh, that line will come back to bite her in the butt. Won't it, though? Yes. They can take their story and stick it in a file with Hello Larry and Pam Ewing's dream. I love the fact that Miles, as a leader, you see that he's swelling with pride. And he tells them, I'm so proud of all of you. And then says that he might ask if the ladies could um, do something about their wardrobe, maybe some off-the-shoulder peasant blouses. And Corky and Murphy, in unison, just kind of slowly turn their gaze to him. He's like, I'm just kidding. I feel like Miles, a lot of times, puts these sort of jokes like this. He kind of means it, Mm -hmm. but he doesn't know what to say. Like, he's kind of compensating a bit. He sets all of his ideas up as a a potential joke, but then if they work, then great. Yeah. He always leaves the door open to get out of it if he needs to. Because later on, he kind of puts it on thick when he's like, you know, I could get fired for this. Uh So just going back, because I feel like this is a very obscure reference now. Mm -hmm. Do you know what Hello Larry was? No. Can I tell you about Hello Larry? Please tell me about Hello Larry. So in the history of television, Hello Larry is a joke. And that's the only reason I know it. I have not seen scenes from it. Uh, Joanna Gleason was in it. Mm -hmm. It was a vehicle sitcom from McLean Stevenson after MASH. Okay. And so it had a lot of high expectations. Sure. And it failed miserably. Although it had two seasons. And so it sort of became kind of a placeholder for this idea of something terrible. Hmm. So it's like Carrie the Musical. But something I did find out in my research about Hello, Larry, mm-hmm. is that I always thought, and a lot of people do apparently, thought that it was a spinoff of Different Strokes, because I watched Different Strokes all the freaking time. Uh-huh. But it wasn't. To try to get better ratings for Hello, Larry, they had the character come on Different Strokes and be a friend of Mr. Drummond. No. Yes. Oh, that's A for effort. Hey, they're trying. So, uh, and then obviously Pam Ewing's dream is, yes. um, you know, um, come the shower thing. I did recognize it. Anyway. Yeah. Back to not McLean Stevenson. Let's go to Phil's. Let's go to Phil's. So Murphy walks into Phil's. She's very sort of downtrodden. Um, She says, well, the old days, she'd order a double scotch on the rocks, but it's a kindler, gentler America. (laughs) George Bush reference. Mm -hmm. Um, So she'll have a club soda and sulk for a while. Oh, been there, girl. Yeah. She's worried about the ratings, you know, and and, and Phil's like, yeah, the Jerry Gold show is just terrible. And, and Murphy can't believe that he watched it, but he said, you know, he doesn't know control of the TV. You know, the bar patrons made him watch it. Talks about one of the nurses from the show. Mm-hmm. Thinks that she has to have her outfit specially made. I'm guessing because she's quite stacked. Uh-huh. And then one of my favorite, favorite parts is he goes, he doesn't understand how a nurse like that can get an accurate heart rate. Uh, and then oh, we, we see the gym oh. is eating, you know, uh, eating. He's having a salad and a cup of coffee. I thought, I thought that was interesting, his yeah. choice of meal for some reason. I don't know if I ever considered what I thought Jim eats for lunch on a work day. Didn't see him as a salad person, but he's on TV. Yeah, I get it. Got to I guess I slim. saw him as like, uh, you know, an... A, an accurately, evenly sliced sandwich that Doris makes him. Oh, yeah. You know, that's like the same sandwich, like an egg salad sandwich that he has eaten every day yeah, since they, they got married. Yeah, they eat all the time, though. They usually eat he hamburgers. Does. They usually he eat hamburgers. I guess yeah. that's why. But I just can't see Jim eating a hamburger. We'll have to pay attention and see. So you Jim, know I'll watch Jim all day. So Jim feels like roadkill. I love that image. Mm. And they just feel so beat up. And then Frank comes in dressed as a homeless person. 
Yes. Looking actually pretty nice, I have to say. Frank looks good. Looks I, good. This is, again, we get to see Frank in the field. Yes, in the field. And it's fun. I also had a thought. Not having the toupee, he can be undercover. Uh-huh. Exactly. I mean, he had a hat and everything. Uh-huh. But still, that's my new canon. Yes. I think it fits into our established canon. I think so. Yeah. And, and he's super sort of cheery, although it feels kind of like a, a forced cheery. Like, you know that something's probably a little bit wrong. There's compensation. Yeah. There. And so he wants to, you know, Murphy doesn't understand. You know, they're, they're just, you know, how he can feel that way when the situation that they're in, particularly because he's doing something on the homeless. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, you know, do they want to hear something funny? And Jim, you know, feels that he can sort of, you know, hear a joke right now. And Frank says, you know, who among them is capable of enduring more pain than anyone? And Murphy looks at Jim, and then she looks at Frank, and she says, Marilyn Quayle? Ding. And he means himself. You know, he's been to Beirut. He's r- rode with, you know, the Greenpeace, and mm-hmm. uh, he makes Ollie North look like a florist. <laughs> so specific. So specific. <laughs> and Murphy wants him to hurry up because he smells like fish. And then uh, Frank gives this sort of beautiful monologue about mm-hmm. uh, meeting this, a lot of different homeless people and particularly, you know, focusing on, on this... Children. Yeah, this father and this young girl, about eight or so, that, that he meets. When and, he tells the story, by the way, my visual yeah. of the father and daughter is Curly Sue. Me too! <gasps> yes! You got so excited. Lauren just got, like, <laughs> aggressively excited and then dragged her body as quickly as possible away from the mic so she didn't break your eardrums. I'm so excited that just happened. That's so creepy, Jesse. I love that movie. My dad and I loved that movie. I didn't watch it a lot, but I, oh, my God, I'm like, my face is getting hot. <laughs> that's, oh, that's hysterical. Okay, yes, yeah, so Curly Sue is Curly definitely Sue. who I yeah. saw. Yeah. And they offer Frank to sleep in their trunk if he wants oh. a warm place. And, and long story short, just watch the beautiful monologue in the episode. I get why he submitted this. Right. The this little girl. I'm sorry. She's like six or seven. Mm-hmm. His last, you know, couple of coins. You know, because <sighs> she feels that he he might need it. And then you know, he goes. And the funny part is, is that no one's gonna watch. You know, they're all gonna be watching. And I love the way Joe does it. He goes, Jerry Gold. Like this this hatred, but also you get the impression that that's how he's introduced on the show. Yep. Like it's very specific. And I love little things like that that add in. It is heartbreaking the conversation that happens in this about what you do to get the the meaningful story out there. Yeah. And what might be worth it and what might not. I, I appreciate that they come to what happens later with as close to altruistic intentions as they can with this larger goal in mind if we have this important story that we want people to hear and tell and we want mm-hmm. as many people to know about this as possible. How do we do that? Do we have to compromise in some way our values? It reminded me of a lot of the storylines on Newsroom. Mm-hmm. It's very Sorkin-esque. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to get that across. Yeah. So, so Jim and Murphy they start to brainstorm. They, they want to help Frank. They want his story to get seen. You know, uh, do they talk to the network? Here's one. Do they take out bigger newspaper ads? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. No, that's not yeah. how you do it. And, and Murphy hates it. She wishes they could fight fire with fire. Uh, and Jim agrees, you know, uh, they shouldn't do this. They, they can't, you know. And, and it's interesting. Like, I, I actually can't remember, like, who says it first because they sort of really bounce off each other really they well. Do. It's almost as if they both come up with the idea together, even though I know they don't. That's how I, that's how I received it as an audience yeah. member. But if they just did it once, <laughs> if they only do it once, which they repeat a lot. And then Jim says, I heard about a woman in Detroit with three breasts. Jim is a thing with breasts. Jim, uh, Jim's a breast man. Well, look, I, Doris. Yep. Yeah. 
I love the fact that we always find out what's underneath Jim. Jim is a very passionate man. Yes, he is. I mean, he's mentioned breasts a lot, if we can say that. He's a boob man. He can't help it. In in season two, he throws doors to the ground at one point yes, and he makes does. out with her. Yes, he does, Jim. Get it. Uh, I just think that this groundwork is being... Oh, and we have the line later, which is my favorite, yes. which we're going to get to. Yes. So... Um, Jim's got a lot going on underneath that facade. Mm. That's all I'm saying. Yes, and then Murphy goes, let's get on it. <laughs> so we're back at the the bullpen again. Brown suit alert. Jim, brown suit, living my, my, best year, my best dreams. So Corky's been trying to find Murphy and Jim. Are, and they arrive and she says that she has been trying to find them. And they've been off watching Jerry Gold's latest episode. And they're clearly been doing research. Of course. Jim refers to it as the most disgusting display of pseudo-journalism he's ever seen. Um, anything so that we can outdo it. It's a great little pause there. I love the, he disses and he's like, and we can do better. And then they start talking about the ways that they can, basically. The only one I wrote down was the, the devil worship in the Senate. That's also the one that I wrote it's down. It's so good. <laughs> Because I want to know that story. I, I think that we can just do this this podcast independently. You do yes. one episode, I do another. You're it's, just going to say all the things that I'm going to say. And it's just, I wrote down the one that stuck out to me. And Corky makes a comment about how she can't be a part of this. And you can tell she doesn't know if they're serious or not. Yeah, she says, like, I thought you were kidding. And and she said she can't be a part of this um, if she w- as a Miss American. Like, I was a former Miss America. And that they would do this. Frank shows up. Frank's also been doing research. Mm -hmm. And he looked into the nurses. Yeah, he waited for the credits. Yep. Because he pretends his back has been giving him problems lately. And is it the phrase his back has been acting up lately? Yeah. It's great. Because it's the the up that that made me think about it. Because then Murphy turns with his expression and says, I don't think it's your back, Frank. It's great. It's a subtle joke. And that's why I remembered it, because the up. And her her delivery is great. It's great. Which then leads us into Jerry's next topic. Which is the... Is it about it's the truth about penal implants? Okay, I couldn't. I wrote. I'm sorry, everyone. I wrote penis question mark, and I couldn't. I couldn't remember. If it was like a pump, a la like Austin Powers. I feel like or, all these episodes are just me laughing in the background. <laughs> Frank is talking about the nuns who mud wrestle. Murphy lost them to Geraldo. Ugh, you lose everything. And to now Geraldo. my favorite part of this entire scene. Please, please quote it. Okay, Murphy suggests fetishes: leather, shoe, silk, flannel. Jim, flannel. The way that Charles Kimbrough, it's probably the funniest thing I've seen him do, and he's been hilarious on this show. It's a true Midwestern man. It just bubbles up Leather, inside of him. Shoe, silk, flannel. flannel. And then and then he The audience loses they it. They lose it. It is a huge laugh. It's the best. And then the way that he fills the laughter, which I think is funnier than yes. the way he said flannel. It's the way he's acting he's, through the laughter. Just like... It, it reminded <laughs> me a bit, the best person I've ever seen fill the laughter is Megan Mullally. Yes. It's a master class Just of acting when she does it. She can swelling The story, she creates yes. stories. It's going on, you know, and that works for Karen also too. That's yeah. not really Jim. Mm-hmm. But, um... The way he just sort of stumbles and it's it's very Bill Nye again. Mm-hmm. Also, it's for beautiful. everyone who might not be aware, we're saying Bill Nye, not Bill Nye, the science guy. Please note the last episode and this one, Bill Nye. So also, I love Franken responding to this He's scenario. A little disturbed. He looks, yeah, he looks very, very uncomfortable. Yeah. And Miles comes in, and Miles has no idea that this has been go- getting cooked mm-hmm. and cooked up. And 
so he comes in to give feedback on Frank's homeless piece and he really thinks it could have an impact and he is on their side and then he starts doing the like self-flagellation about like I could lose my job but I will not pander to the public's thirst for sensationalism not now not ever that's nice <laughs> Jim do you know anything about bestiality <laughs> it's the best and Miles just looks so confused so Frank's suggests confessions of an undercover cop and Jim goes I dress like a woman and I like it Murphy he carried a pair of 38s and a gun she can't not laugh at herself <laughs> it's so I mean it's not like she's laughing but it it works mm-hmm. that she's proud of herself yeah. but it, it it's, it's she knows it's funny it's so funny and Miles much like Corky earlier looks like he's trying to catch the joke well he's like I thought pranking the new guy was over mm-hmm they explain that they are going, and this is my one of my favorite lines. It's a great said, line, too. Knock Jerry Gold on his astronomical ego. Yes. Oh, it's such a good line. You watch Miles sit there, you know, debating with integrity versus the numbers, and finally says, women who used to be men, who used to be women, with big breasts. And he puts his hands in front of what imaginary giant cans. It's so cute. He's got a great look on his face. He's this so is proud. A really great Grant shot episode. It is. He's bringing out all the you know his his fabulous comedic mm. abilities. Um, so then we go to the FYI set. It is show night. Um, Jim introduces all the segments. Uh, Frank obviously has homelessness. Corky is doing an interview with Burt Parks, and then Jim Dial is saying the word flesh peddlers. Oh, maybe a dream of mine. It. It answered what was missing in my life. Pretty much. So it's the topic or the segment is called Sex for Sale. And I didn't write down everything that Jim said. I just flesh peddlers. That's the only part that matters. Yeah. Murphy Brown takes a walk on the wild side. And it's set up to be sort of a discussion between the legalization of prostitution and against. Mm -hmm. So we have three women on each side. Before we do, I just want to call out Corky's interview is with Burt Parks, who is the the host of Miss America. Oh, yes. We mentioned it before yes. in a previous episode, so yes. I didn't think to mention it, but, but we should, I, I just, just love case. the fact that she is, they're talking about she has a, do they call it a hard-hitting interview? Probably. It, it's something where they set it up like it's this really serious interview mm-hmm. and it's with the host of Miss America, which is clearly an easy call-in for her. Yeah. <laughs> so we have three uh, housewives on one side and three um, prostitutes on the other, dressed like cartoon versions of 1980s of prostitutes. Both. So we have Homemakers Against Gratuitous Sex, AKA hags that we'll talk about this in a second. Oh, yeah. no, you're right. And then on the other side, we have hookers organization for American, American rights Whore. this is brilliantly funny. It is. It's, here's what's funny about it. They don't say hags and they don't say whore. What happens is that when Murphy introduces the two of them, she says the full name and then spells it. And you hear the most amazing delayed laughter as the audience realizes what they would be if you said them out loud. Mm-hmm. And she kind of almost says later on, ha, and then she goes, well, just just, just stick it at that. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't say it. So this is one of those things where I think it's really great to point out that, for example, the word w-h-o-r-e mm-hmm. is not one that i am a large fan of I'm not a fan of as well but i strongly believe that nothing should be off the table in comedy and this is a way that you play with that word and the implication of that word in a really clever way yes it's so bad it's good i also love that first of all uh, jesse starts talking a very sort of economically not, very not smart me. sorry not me jesse jesse j-e-s-s-e jesse the prostitute not Jesse the podcaster. Yes. yes. The, Jesse the character in the episode. Yes. From 
H-O-R-A. Is this crazy? Oh, H-O-A-R. Is this crazy that because it was spelled different, I didn't even put those two together? You said, I was like, I, it wasn't me, everyone. <laughs> yes. Starts uh, talking, you know, very, very smart and, and sort of the, 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 what was behind it and how important and how it started. She's incredibly articulate about very the Very articulate. Um, but then Murphy just wants to know how she became a hooker. So I need to pause on that for a We're second. We're pausing. So I am newly... I've been recently informed in the last couple years of the necessity, and maybe it's because I I partake of a lot of true crime, but the necessity mm-hmm. to discuss the terms used within sex work. Mm-hmm. So there are there. It's a very multi-layered issue, but there is a very important and interesting conversation happening right now about the terms that we use. Terms like hookers, whores, prostitutes. These words that are often used as a way to dehumanize someone within the sex industry, the sex work industry, mm-hmm. regardless of your personal opinions, the, the huge divide at this point is voluntary or not. Sex trafficking, uh, people who are coerced into these roles, that is a completely different conversation. Yes. The one we are talking about right now is voluntary sex work. Women who choose. Women who choose. And there's been a, a very large movement, especially in this I found very fascinating. In Sex worker movements are highly active in countries like India, Argentina, Taiwan, and Sweden. And it's a conversation that's building within the U.S., um, but it's not highly prevalent. But the number one conversation piece right now is how we talk about the people who voluntarily work, with, voluntarily work within these fields, particularly in crime, because there is a huge stigma about talking about someone with one of those terms immediately puts a blame on what happens to them in their life. And it's a, it's a high-risk lifestyle, it's something where it happens more often because they are more apt to be in the, the line of fire sure. of, of criminality. But something that I think is important is to start looking at how you phrase these terms when you're talking about people in these positions. Instead of using terms that are usually derogatory and dehumanizing, looking at a way to remember that there's a person behind that and the idea that we might look at a victim of, of criminality as less than or as a as an object yes as an object or as a a Mm non-human i I think is is the key and i'm i'm fascinated looking this i found a a great post on uh mismagazine.com and for those of you who don't know ms magazine is um, an american liberal feminist magazine it was co-founded by gloria steinem and Dorothy Pittman Hughes. And now has an online presence as well. And there's a very interesting article that I was reading about how to respect sex workers. And uh, one of them is, the numbers are really, one, don't diminish or mock sex workers agency, which is something that I think happens in this particular segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, don't assume your problems with the sex industry are the industry's only problems. Uh, three, use language with care. And four is to educate yourself and read more, which is something that I'm trying to do as well so I can understand more of this part of the world that mm-hmm. I don't really know uh, but it's something that I find interesting watching this episode now well it's funny uh, listening to what you what you're, you've said which is really really helpful and amazing and I'm glad that you brought this topic because I didn't know you were going to talk about it mm-hmm. until we just started and I'm so happy is that at a very early age I watched a lot of 80s movies on television mm-hmm. And so my introduction to sex workers mm-hmm. is Trading Places. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of movies, and I can't think of other ones right now at the top of my head, where mm-hmm. in the 70s or the 80s, mm-hmm. it's just sort of, sort of dawned on me, wow, you know, these images were probably very in- influential to me at a very early age, just like going back and watching the Anita Hill movie. Mm-hmm. I realized that even 
someone like myself, who I consider a feminist, had some preconceived notions about Anita Hill subconsciously. Absolutely. That I, that I did not realize had been put in my head by the media as a young child. Mm-hmm. A lot of this is so important because it has led to the society that we have today. Well, the idea that we have the homemakers against gratuitous sex and hookers organization for American rights, mm-hmm. the fact that it's homemakers versus hookers, the idea that one is wholesome, one is respected, and one is a subhuman but also some who's going against that one's yeah. values. But also some of the things that we're going to, I mean, this is meant to be sensationalist, obviously. Obviously. But And, and a parody of what was on television yes. at the time. But I'm now going to get into some of these quotes that the housewives say yeah. that sound very, very to today. Current. And not necessarily in a comedic way as it was exactly. portrayed at the time. Hey, I completely understand what this particular episode was doing. I completely understand, especially where, where this interview goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that it was supposed to be a, a bit more of a caricature of what we were seeing on TV at the time. But that's not going to stop me from finding a reason to talk about the real life implications. <laughs> no, and that's why, that's why I love what we do here mm-hmm. is because we get the chance to do that and have mm-hmm. discussions that aren't just about television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The housewives are concerned about the growing decay of moral values in America. We believe that America is the greatest country in the, on the face of God's green earth. And we believe the American family is the backbone of this country's prosperity, piety and strength. She's Midwestern, right? Piety and strength. Mm-hmm. And we love our children very much. I just felt like this is something that we, we hear today. Yep. Well, you know, we, we can't give these people rights because blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. it's against the family. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, every week we go, this is still relevant. This is still relevant. But it is. It is. Yeah. It really is. Particularly when one of the other wives says that she thinks that, you know, people such as these women on the panel across from her, these prostitutes should be punished and that should be locked up or shot. It reminded me of when Trump felt that women who have abortions should be punished. Yes. But the fact that shot gets a laugh, and today many politicians have said lines like this, not for a laugh. Yep. Yeah, it's, that was so... Or preceded by a laugh, I yes. should say. Murphy's doing this great thing of lunging in with the, with the microphone to get the two sides as it builds. But <laughs> my favorite part is the Donahue, mm. which is the putting the mic out, Going on her knee and lowering her head to get out of the shot. Yes. I just lowered my head and messed up the mic. But <laughs> it's when I first realized that she was doing Donahue, yeah. I lost it. It's good. Yeah. One of the prostitutes is uh, an actress who I realize I know as Alana Waterman on the West Wing. Mm-hmm. That's how I know her. Yeah. She was Toby's lawyer. Um, but she's done so much stuff. I looked her up because she's one of those actresses that just has one of those faces that you've seen a lot. She has 221 credits on her IMDb. So she works. Yeah. Lee works. Garlington. She plays Shawnee. She's been in Sneakers and Field of Dreams. She's in one of my favorite episodes of Quantum Leap. Quantum Leap. Which is the episode right before Al and Sam trade places. It's mm-hmm. called Shock Theater. She was recurring on Everwood. She was on Medium, Boston Legal. And I had forgotten that she was in this episode. It's a really nice little pull. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, I know you. Uh, the Housewives, we have Susan uh, Krebs. She was also in The West Wing. Um, the Nanny, Shameless. Anne Ryerson is actually in Troop Beverly Hills. She's Which is awesome. Yes. Um, she's recurred on Kirby Enthusiasm. She was in Caddyshack. And then we have uh, Julie Payne, who uh, was recurring as a teacher on The Wonder Years. Or actually, no, I don't even know. I just guessed that she was a teacher. Mrs. Falchinelli. Uh, uh, and she was a recurring voice several times on The Tracy Ullman Show. That's so amazing. these are, you know, tried and true television veterans. through the And it shows. 
Anyway, so Murphy is egging them on the entire time. And uh, she pretty much gets uh, Rose the Homemaker to run after one of the prostitutes and attack her. And a huge melee starts. Oh, gosh. It is chaos. It is chaos. And then Miles tries to save Murphy by, like, pushing her up against the wall. And one of the FYI fake sort of TV panels falls out. (laughs) And then Murphy's trying to get back in the fray. And Miles is trying to stop her. Like, I'm not sure if she wants to join in and have fun or she wants to stop it. (laughs) Because she's really trying to get in there. And sweet Jim is just, like, trying to plow through. Yeah, he feels he needs to stop the women from, you know, know, doing this. And, um... Jim gets knocked in the nose with a microphone. I appreciate the audible thunk that we get from the mic. You actually hear the mic. Mm-hmm. And uh, gets kneed in the groin, pretty sure. Oh, does he? Something interesting, though, is that... So first you see the picture that we get to, which is in the paper. You mm-hmm. know, te- television is, you know, uh, God, which is... you know, I know it's your scene, mm-hmm. but I just want to no, point this it. out. Is because there's a picture on the DVD similar to that picture, mm-hmm. which is not similar to the last shot we've seen because the... The prostitute that is in blue is nowhere near Jim. Mm-hmm. But the picture, I'm wondering, is a joke that maybe shouldn't have ended up on the, mm. or it's just another version of it. But so here's what it is Jim has his hand around the waist of the prostitute in the blue outfit. Mm-hmm. He's, how can I explain this? He is, um, his head is back because he's being hit in the nose with the mic. So it looks like he's having sex yeah. with the prostitute. Yeah. Get it, Jim. I mean, don't. Respect Doris. But get it, Jim. But it's interesting because in the in the newspaper, he does not have his hand around her waist and his head uh-huh. is back and his mouth is open. It looks extremely pornographic. Looks extremely primal. Hi, DVD. <laughs> Thank I you, mean, DVD. I already have a problem with the DVD because there were season five pictures yes, and on is, the season one DVD. That is indicative of a problem. Yeah, so, you know, someone just through a bunch of pictures on the DVD. So that cracked me up. hey So we find ourselves in the FYI offices the next day, and Murphy comes off of the elevator, and she is in what I can only say is her attempt at incognito mode, or her new attempt, since we have seen her at the the sperm clinic in incognito. Yes, can I add on that? Yes. Because uh, Corby sent us some scripts, mm-hmm. and I was leafing through them, and I started cracking up because one of them is Ono oh Part 2. Mm-hmm. They refer to that outfit with mm-hmm. the scarf mm-hmm. and the detective uh, raincoat mm-hmm. as her Murphy tries to be invisible outfit. I, yeah. I, it just that was interesting when you said that. So mm-hmm. I, it may be another version of her, yeah. but not sort of the traditional Murphy incognito yeah. outfit. Murphy has shown up in what is a bomber jacket. She's clearly trying to just make her way into her office. And Carl catches her. Am I? Did I type this correctly? It made last night made his blood run like lava. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure if it's sexual or he's angry. I don't know. And she just she doesn't want to have the conversation. He very sweetly is there to support her, and that if if she needs him, oh she my has God. his number. We forgot about the breast thing. Miles says to to put the camera on uh, in the, <gasps> the previous scene on the prostitute's breasts. Yeah. A.K.A. Alana Waterman. And Carl put the camera on yeah. Murphy's breasts. <laughs> Carl is a one-track mind. Yes, he does. So Murphy gets into her office, turns the light on, and the chair turns. And there is Jim. I love the way he turns around in that chair. Yeah. It's so comedic. It's, it's amazing. Slow. And he has this massive 
tape and brace scenario on his nose. It wasn't until the second time I watched the episode that I went, Geraldo. Yes, it's that's a what Geraldo I of. reference because Geraldo yep. got his bro- his nose broken on an episode of his show, mm-hmm. and then had that giant structure mm-hmm. for his broken nose. He did. And Murphy asks him if it looks as bad or if it hurts as bad as it looks, and he says that he deserves it because he feels cheap. Oh, that's like that phrase of "you're small." Like for Jim to say it makes me feel cheap mm-hmm. breaks my heart. Yeah. And she says her too. Frank arrives to tell them basically he's saying like he knows that they did it for him and yeah, for his story. Yeah, it's really sweet. And <laughs> when Miles walks in, he's gone from I would sacrifice my job and my life for all of this to his parents are want money back for his education and his mom is going back to her maiden name because he has ruined them with this broadcast. Yeah. And what we found out about his parents, that actually totally makes sense. It totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. This is the part that I love. So Corky comes in. Mm. While Murphy is in this place of wanting to take this like integrity high road, mm-hmm. Corky's the one who actually gets it. Yeah, it's a told you and so speech. It is. And Corky wins because she says she grew up on a farm and she was in Atlantic City in a hotel room one day preparing to be the closest thing this country has to a queen. Oh, Corky. She's not wrong. Uh, she picks up mm. a t- I mean, I get what she means. She picks up a TV guide and reads an article about Murphy Brown and decides in that moment that's who she wants to be. Like, oh. and you see why she was kind of fighting it the whole time. And then she says, it was either Murphy Brown or Victoria Principal. Painfully clear I made the wrong choice. <laughs> and she storms out of the room and it's amazing. And then the call comes in about the ratings. And they're all sitting there and you hear Miles and they do a great misdirect of Miles be like, okay, okay. And then he says, and this city, okay, and this one. And you see everyone wilting and this implication that it wasn't worth it. And Miles turns around and he says, bad news for Jerry Gold. And he says, we clobbered him. They won every market. Broke re- they broke 47 share? 47 share. Yes. Quickly, a share mm-hmm. is a percentage of the whole, but with an important difference from ratings point is that a show's rating is the percentage of all possible TV households or viewers in the country. A share is the percentage of households or viewers actually watching TV at the time. That is huge. So that's huge. Yes. And he does the best line, which we were talking about earlier. He's like, Jim. 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 My, my man. man. Have you ever seen a 40 share in your life? And it goes to Jim and he looks at the paper and goes, whoa, mama. You do this like side hug thing. Oh, it's the best. And Murphy turns to Frank and she's like, Frank, 50 million. 50 million people saw your piece. 12 million watched them last week. Yes. Like the point that they, like this, they're all in this place of victory, that it was worth it. And that everyone saw that beautiful piece that he had created Mm -hmm. and they go we're number one and it was easy it was was so easy easy. frank turns around and he's like oh you have this medicaid piece that's coming up so they start throwing around ideas for what they can do to get people to watch that and we have transsexual ballroom dancing which is an awkward title now but they said real new slant a cultural glitch in society a change in moray a reflection of society the societal evolution see the subtitle i went okay that's interesting frank that is a cultural glitch in society is troublesome for me. But a change in mores, a reflection of the society's evolution. Yes. That part I meant. That, that was that I yeah. went, oh, that's a little forward thinking, actually, it for is. this time period. And then they start realizing, no, it's okay. And Murphy's like, we're not selling out. Jim reasons that, you know, if they only just do like one a week, it's fine. They're still doing their other good stuff. And Miles says, just enough to get people to watch our good stuff. Ugh. And at that moment, they all universally go silent. You see... 
them realizing that if they, it's that if you give in a little, you'll give in even more. Yeah. And Jim says that he's been in the business for 30 years and he's never had ratings like this before. I'm sorry, but it feels good. And I love that moment of humanity. It's great. And Miles says, well, this is success, right? People watching our show. And Murphy responds to that with watching it the way they slow down on the highway to see an accident, which is, that's the difference. Mm -hmm. And Miles says, but we did what we set out to do. We got what we want, didn't we? And then the show's over. And that's the end of the episode. It, it gives e- me chills. It doesn't even end with a laugh. That's nope. super risky. And there's nothing in the back of her door. Yes, I noticed that. Mm-hmm. That moment, everything is without humor, and it's beautiful. The, the quiet ending. Yeah, it's just quiet. It's it gave me chills watching it. I had forgotten it ended that way. Mm-hmm. I I completely did not remember that. Yeah. I was very I I was retroactively very proud of this episode. Yeah, me I too. think. There's some in- interesting conversation pieces as if you could do this now with that, but I think you still could because I think the commentary is still there. Yeah, it's people definitely s- still here. People still talk about these things this way, and we still choose flash over substance often. This is more prevalent today than it might have been back then. Mm-hmm. It, it, it makes me think of clickbait culture. I, t- I was telling you this when I... We took a, a mini pause to look something up mid-episode, and I wanted to double-check before I talked about the the term sex worker versus prostitute or hooker or something mm-hmm. like that. I wanted to make sure that the thing that I was quoting was from a legitimate news source, and that's something that I have had to learn online with clickbait culture. That I was like, I need to make sure this is the correct publication that I'm talking well, about. Well, Jordan Peele has that video out mm-hmm. about you know how to spot and, and, mm-hmm. and how to double check. And, and, and that's a big thing for me too, is if I see something, I look for it someplace else first. Mm-hmm. I try to find it in more legitimate mm-hmm. sources before I repost it. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to post it from the legitimate sources. That too, yeah. If, it's, if I can get a New York Times, or often for me, if I can get a BBC post about it. Well, yeah. They, <laughs> You BBC is always better. I learned that when I was in grad school and I had a friend, still one of my greatest friends from Scotland, and mm-hmm. and he was like, your news doesn't show everything. And mm-hmm. I was like, what do you mean? I was very naive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's like, come watch this with me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is very different. And but it's something that we have to actively seek out. It's yeah. very easy, especially with the internet, to, especially with algorithms, beyond just what you're choosing to watch, what's being put in front of you because of algorithms. Yeah, I and mean, I'd love to see this episode adapted for now. We might see it. We might. We absolutely might because I think that there's a lot to still talk about and new points. I'm I'm very retroactively proud of the team for making no. this. Yeah. And something interesting I forgot to mention that Corby mentioned to us, which I didn't realize, is that um, even though Jay is not in this episode as Jerry Gold, mm-hmm. because enough of the character is talked about. Mm-hmm. Russ Woody technically through the WGA has credit for creating Jerry Gold. Yes. Yeah. Now, when Murphy and Jerry do have a relationship together, mm-hmm. which is Jay's second episode, he wrote the first episode in their relationship and the last episode in their mm-hmm. relationship in a way, which is very interesting. And next week, we will be talking with Russ himself we will. about various topics, um, including some of his episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're very excited about that. Please follow us on social media. Uh, you can find us at Murphy Brown Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The email is murphybrownpod.com. Our email is murphybrownpod at gmail. And don't forget, subscribe to our Spotify playlist, the Murphy Brown Empowerment Playlist. Mm-hmm. If you listen to us on iTunes, please hop on and give us a quick rating and review. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and also it helps more people find us. Yeah, it's a free way to support the podcast. Mm-hmm. As we're uh, as we're revving up to the, to the revival, 
we would love to have more people on board so we can help people prep for the revival that's coming. Yeah. Tell your friends if you haven't told anyone who you know love Murphy Brown who might want to listen to the show. Please do. We would love to talk yes, with more people about we this. We would. Yeah. So we'll see you next week for another edition of FYI, the Murphy Brown podcast. Crossdresser wants my gal. Devil worship. Exploring Satan's underground. I'm a breeder for the clan. It's a lot to absorb.